Well, good morning again. Um, good to be here. Uh, this, this week, my kids were very excited to have their grandpa Roger show up. My dad came up um, from Gallup, New Mexico to visit us here in Idlewild. And, uh, of course, as soon as he came onto the porch, the kids were up late waiting for him. And uh, three-year-old August runs out on the porch, skipping and jumping and screaming and laughing and just uh, overjoyed. So good to have him here, seeing us, seeing the house, seeing the church. But ultimately, he's here for the grandkids. We all know that. Now, if you talk with my dad, he likes to try and take credit for getting Heather and I together. He was our youth pastor. Uh, and I'll admit that he did play a very important role in uh, pushing us to, to kind of get together. Now, I met Heather back in youth group, but we didn't start dating until after college. And while I was away at college, there were girls that I was interested in. But I had a problem. I was always too afraid to tell girls that I was interested in them. Afraid might not be a strong enough word. More like terrified, mortified, freaked out of my mind to say anything about how I felt to them. Now, this is a pretty common problem for, for many young single guys. In fact, you'd often have scenarios in Bible college where you'd have one guy sitting in his dorm at a desk with his phone on the table freaking out about calling a girl that he liked, just sitting there, staring at the phone, and his best friend there in the room with him trying to egg him on. Come on, man, you could do this. Pick up the phone. Give her a call. And he'd pick it up and say, nope, nope, can't do it, and walk out of the room. Now, I have to admit that I experienced that same kind of fear on occasion. There were girls that I liked, and I loved spending time with them, and I would get up the courage to show my interest by, you know, bringing them coffee or, or, or going and hanging out with them. But when it came to sharing how I felt about them, I would freak out and I would choke and not do anything. Now, one of my best friends in Bible college made the observation to me that I must not really be that interested in these girls if I wasn't willing to put it all on the line and say something. Well, fast forward a few years, and I found myself getting reconnected with Heather back in Gallup, and I will admit I was absolutely terrified to ask her out too. And my parents and my friends sure did have a very good time egging me on to, to go ahead and do that. But I had already resolved in my mind that I liked her so much that some way, somehow, I would bury that fear and I would tell her how I felt. And, well, it worked out. <laughs> well, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about living our passion for Christ out publicly in a way that others in our communities can see what we've called lifestyle evangelism. And we've seen Peter spends a good chunk of his letter on the importance of living out our faith passionately. It is something that we all should do. But the problem is we can stop there, showing our passion for Christ to those around us, 
But when the opportunity comes to tell others about our love for him, we could get freaked out and terrified to share him openly with others. Just as those guys say they like those girls, but they get too scared to say anything. Now, when I was too scared to tell a girl how I felt about her, my friend had wisely questioned if I really liked her. In the same way, when fear gets in the way of telling others about Christ, the question that we should be asking ourselves is how passionate we really are about him. Today, we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to believers. For all of us, our views on the basics of life conflict with the opposition that we experience from a hostile culture around us. Now, can it be worse? Absolutely. And in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the various places around the world where we have things like churches being demolished. We have Christians being martyred and thrown in prison. It can be worse. But the truth is the gospel has never been popular with those who believe. The New Testament actually says that it's offensive to those who are perishing. And because others oppose our faith, it can be tempting to keep it to ourselves. Or worse yet, we could react to unbelievers with hostility. Maybe lashing out or complaining about them on social media. Maybe on Facebook when people disagree with our beliefs. Now sharing our faith can be daunting enough when you factor in the possibility of rejection. And the possibility of verbal hostility from unbelievers can only make us want to hold back more. Now today, we will look at how to live and proclaim the gospel in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hostility, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, if you want to open there in your Bibles. First, we will consider what should motivate sharing our faith with others. Second, we will discuss the content and the attitude that we should have when sharing our faith. And lastly, we're going to consider how we could look to apply these truths in our lives today. Now, throughout our Exiles series, we have wrestled with what it means to live as followers of Christ in a fallen world. Lately, In our series, we have considered how our actions, how we live in community when we're with unbelievers, how that should demonstrate the gospel to those that we come into contact with, what we've called lifestyle evangelism. And last week, Tim took us through chapters 3, verses 8 through 12, where we saw once again that we're supposed to respond to hostility from unbelievers with a Christ-like attitude. If you recall, Peter quoted from Psalm 34 to make his point. And it says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Basically, this psalm drives home the point that Christians are supposed to remain good and peaceful amidst a culture that isn't. The psalm reminds Peter's audience and us that the Lord hears the righteous when they are oppressed, which should be a source of strength to Christians as we face hostility. Peter continues his thought based off of this psalm in the next several verses. In verse 13, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for reason for the hope that is in you. Now, according to verse 13, opposition can't bring lasting harm to us in the long run. Sure, we might face pretty bad consequences of hostility this side of eternity. We could face death. We could face broken relationships. We could face verbal rejection. We could face imprisonment. But the favor that we found with our Heavenly Father is secure in Jesus Christ. And that cannot be jeopardized. No matter what the world brings against us, our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is secure. Now, in verse 14, Peter clarifies and acknowledges that sometimes in this fallen and broken world, we may suffer unjustly, and we may have others oppose us when we act righteously. But he says that suffering for doing good brings blessing. Suffering for doing good brings blessing. The harm of the opposition of unbelievers is overshadowed by the favor we find from God. As the psalm says, his eyes are on believers and his ears hear their prayers. So when unbelievers come against us because of our righteousness, we shouldn't fear them or be troubled. Verse 15 says what a believer's response should be instead in their hearts honoring Christ as holy. The idea here, as you can see from the Net Bible, the New English Translation, I like the way this is worded from the Greek a lot better. I think it gets the point across a lot more clearly. It says that Christ should be set apart as Lord in the Christian's heart. In other words, our reverence should be for God alone. Only Christ has the say over our final fate. He alone should be our concern, not those who try to oppose us. If our concern is truly with honoring Him as Lord, then there will be no need of fearing them. If our concern is with honoring Him, there will be no need of fearing them. He, as Lord, should be the main concern in our innermost person, in our heart. 
And how does this concern with Christ, first and foremost, in our innermost person, display itself? Peter says, by always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. From our innermost convictions comes the expression of our hope to those around us. From our innermost convictions comes the expression of our hope to those around us. You see, if we really set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts, when we make him the only thing that really defines us, the most important thing, the thing that we care about the most in our lives, then it will not remain private. It won't remain private. When Christ is the thing that defines you, when he is the most important thing, it becomes evident to others. Whatever you care about most deep down will eventually show. Many of us have things that we care about deeply. For me, my kids are at the top of the list. I love them, and I love posting pictures of them on Facebook. I mean, they're adorable. I have to admit that when I became a dad, I remember hearing about people who would literally put baby photo blockers on their Facebook feed. So this would be people who got tired of seeing baby photos on Facebook. They would find a program to filter it out. You could, you could find a filter for anything, politics, TV shows, baby photos, find a way to block it. So I had heard about these people who would put baby photo blockers on their Facebook account. So they wouldn't have to see pictures of babies all the time. So when I became a dad, I remember going to post what was probably the 20th picture or something of my son in a week, maybe in a day, I don't know, and thinking, what if this annoys someone? Am I posting too much of him? Well, it didn't take me long to realize I really didn't care what they thought. I love my kid. My, kid, my kids are so much a part of my life that I can't help but swell with pride for them and share them with others. And we do this all the time. The things that we care about most, the football teams, the politics, our activities, the things we're doing with friends and family, we share them all the time with people because we care about them so much. In much the same way, Christ should be so important to us that he shows out of our lives for others to see. Peter says that these believers, to these believers, that they should be, that they were supposed to always be ready to answer questions about their faith. Peter is referring to those everyday questions that they received from a hostile, non-Christian culture around them, from people on the street and in their public square. He was referring to those times when they're out and about walking through town, talking with people that they know, and they spontaneously get those questions about their faith. Why do you live this way? Why do you talk differently from everybody I know? Why is your allegiance so much for Jesus Christ above anything else? 
when people noticed that they were different. Now, I think a lot of people come to this verse and they conclude that they have to know how to give some deep intellectual apologetic argument that proves Christianity without a shadow of a doubt to those who don't believe. But if we examine the context, I believe the idea that Peter is trying to communicate is a little bit different. Peter says we need to be able to explain the hope we have. This isn't proving Christianity with evidence beyond the shadow of a doubt. Now, that isn't to say, please understand me, that isn't to say there is not a place when sharing our faith for helping people who wrestle with intellectual questions. There are people who legitimately have questions that they want to ask you as they find out about your faith. That's a good thing to be ready to answer those questions. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 1 that all people deep down have a knowledge of God. In other words, if we take what Peter is, or what Paul is saying in Romans 1, there is no such thing as a true atheist. There is no such thing as a true atheist because deep down they know that God exists. He also goes on to explain in Romans 1 that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So while people may have intellectual doubts that we should address with them, we have to remember what the root issue is when they reject Christ. It's a heart that is in rebellion against God and doesn't want anything to do with Him. And the only solution to that core problem, that root issue, is the love of Christ. It's the gospel message. So when you run into someone that seems to want to argue with you, they're not just asking questions, they are fighting you back, and not just wrestling, but latching on and trying to take you down... In arguments, remember, you don't have to know how to answer every single question. You just have to know how to tell them about Jesus and what he means to you. This is simply explaining what you believe and why you believe it. We have to be able to explain the essential points of the Christian faith to those that we come in contact with. The basic story to explain why we have hope. Every believer should be able to grasp and explain the essentials of the faith with others. And honestly, too often, many of us stumble over being able to explain basic Christian beliefs. Interestingly, Peter uses the word hope instead of faith here. The idea is that our lives reflect a hopeful outcome to unbelievers in the midst of all the messiness and craziness that is happening in the world. They notice that we still have hope when the news is showing that everything else is going wrong. Unbelievers should recognize that we live differently and we have hope. 
Peter refers to hope two other times within this letter if we look back at the beginning. Both refer to the return of Christ. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, a living hope of an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, guarded until the last time. In 113, he tells them to set their hope on the grace that they will receive at the return of Christ. Now, this is important because we could lose sight of this today. As I've mentioned last time I preached, I know it was a few weeks ago, yes, we can look forward to being in the presence of our Lord when we pass away. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about longing to be home with the Lord when we die. But if you check the context, he also talks about when we will finally be clothed with our eternal resurrection bodies. In other words, dying and going to be with the Lord, yes, is part of our hope, but there's a lot more to come than just that. Hope is, is very big and very profound in the scriptures. As in, Peter indicates for us in chapter 1, we have an inter- inheritance being guarded for us until the last times. And we wait for the grace that we will receive when the Lord returns to this world. When the New Testament talks about hope, it speaks of our bodies being raised. It speaks of the coming kingdom, ultimate righteousness when we no longer have to struggle with sin. It speaks about eternal life, future glory, and the physical bodily return of Christ to this world. All Christian traditions and denominations, all of them, every single one, agrees when it comes down to it, that Christ will return to this earth and bring heaven with him. He will do away with the old and make all things new. Death will be undone as we receive our bodies back again, made perfect. And God himself will make his home on the new earth with men bringing things back to the way that they were always meant to be, and so much more. Hope is heaven on earth. Hope is death, disease, sorrow being eradicated from this world by Christ's kingdom. Hope is the return of Christ to make all things new. That is what Peter has in mind. That kind of hope should shape every action and thought we have. If we remember this in our day-to-day lives, if we remember that ultimate outcome, all of those things that God has planned for us in the future, when the world is falling apart, we could look to that, and if we lived it out, if we acted like we still had hope, unbelievers would notice. Unbelievers should notice and ask why we are so hopeful. 
Now, when it comes to sharing our hope and faith, too often people think you have to find some magic method or argument to win people over, some silver bullet method that will make atheists crumble and cry out to God for forgiveness. But nothing, nothing is more powerful than the gospel. Having the most rational, logical argument in the world won't matter if someone doesn't desire to turn to Christ. Being convinced with evidence isn't quite enough if you do not believe it. Satan himself knows the facts. He's convinced of the arguments, but he still rejects God because his sinful heart rebels against him. The point is, hearts are not changed by arguing. Hearts are not changed by arguing. Hearts are changed by the message of the gospel. This is about demonstrating the love of Christ, the hope that we have in his return, not showing our mental superiority. That contradicts the attitude that Peter has been telling the Christians to have in the last two chapters that we've been covering in Peter. He's been telling us to have a humble, submissive attitude. Now look at the end of the verse here where Peter makes clear what our attitude should be in telling others about Christ. He says, when giving a reason for the hope within you, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Gentleness and respect are to be the attributes that characterize our presentation of the gospel and the truths of the Christian faith faith to others. Now put this all together. Take a moment and put this all together, what we've been saying. Christians, in the face of opposition and hostility, should live in such a way that they have hope that the people around them see. Hope beyond their suffering. And they should be able to explain that hope to those people in a way that is both gentle and respectful. Now, this is completely countercultural in their world and in ours. Instead of fighting back and looking to take people down when they come after us, when they disagree with us, we are to radiate Christ like hope, gentleness, and respect, subordinating ourselves to others like Christ did. Peter says that we are to have a humble attitude when explaining our faith so that when others talk badly about us, those who put down and attack our righteous Christ-like behavior would be put to shame because as Peter has emphasized before in his letter, it is better to suffer for doing the right thing if that's God's will than to suffer for doing the wrong thing. If we are in God's will then we have nothing to worry about. 
He sees our suffering, and our innermost concern should be with him. If we have set him aside as the Lord of our heart, the one that we care about the most in pleasing him, then we won't be worrying about our persecutors. We won't be worrying about those who reject us. When Christ is the center for you, it should show in your life. Now this brings us to our application for today. Make Christ so much the center of your life that your hope overflows to unbelievers in word and in deed. Make Christ so much the center of your life that your hope overflows to unbelievers in word and in deed. As we have seen from Peter's letter, if we make Christ the most important thing to us, if he is the thing that we care about the most, if we are honoring him as Lord, then the opposition of unbelievers won't hinder us from sharing our hope with them. So the challenge is to make yourself more concerned with Christ, to put him at the center, to make him the Lord and master of your innermost person. Just like you have to question, if if a guy isn't willing to ask a girl out, you have to wonder how much he really likes her. If Christ really is the center of our life, the thing that we care about the most, we do have to ask ourselves... Am I unwilling to share him because he's not that important to me? That takes some examination. And truthfully, this is something that we all continually have to grow in, be reminded of. It takes growing in maturity, both in our relationship with him and in our knowledge of him. The best way that I could think To make Christ more the center of your life is to surround yourself with things and people that fix your mind on him. With books, with sermons, with songs, with blogs, anything and everything that will deepen your walk with him and grow your understanding of who he is. I would challenge you today to find as many things as you can to deepen your love and your knowledge of him. If you need ideas, talk to me, talk to Tim, talk to the elders. We could give you those tools, those things to build your arsenal of training gear to bring Christ more to the center of your life. But along with that, I would challenge you to be constantly in God's word and with the fellowship of mature believers who sharpen your love for the knowledge of Christ. Join a life group. Get around mature people who ooze Jesus. Grab coffee with them. Dig into scripture. Make Christ your everything. When you do that, When you make Christ the center of your life, what unbelievers think won't matter. The fear fades in light of wanting to do God's will. And I would challenge you then to let Christ become the center of your life so much that speaking about your faith when unbelievers becomes natural. Just like a parent or grandparent who can't help but share their love of their little ones with other people. 
Think about it. Does, is it. does it ever take any thinking for a parent, just a grandparent, just to pull out their phone and show pictures of their grandkids? It's natural. They do it as soon as they have a new grandkid and they're meeting other people. Look at the baby. It comes naturally. Just like that, the more we grow in our affection for Jesus Christ, the more we should want to share him with other people. The more we grow in our affection with Christ, the more we should want to share him with other people. We've been talking for several weeks now about how our lifestyle should stand out to a lost, hopeless, and perishing world. Now, Peter is telling us that living that way should naturally lead to telling people about what we believe. Unbelievers should be able to see our hope and we should be ready to explain that hope to them. So as you grow in your knowledge and your love of Christ, sharpen yourself on understanding the essentials, the basics of the Christian faith, the the main story of the Christian faith. Peter tells us to always, always be ready to do so. Don't ever go into a conversation not being ready. And don't ever go into it wanting to win an argument with an unbeliever or wanting to defeat them. Like Christ, remain gentle and respectful. With that in mind, I believe one of the biggest things that holds Christians back from sharing their faith with other people is thinking that they need some tricky argument or complex gospel presentation to change lives. Remember, the gospel and the essentials of the faith mixed with gentleness and respect are powerful enough. They are powerful enough. So therefore, sharpen yourself on the gospel. Sharpen yourself on the essentials of our message. Learn to explain what it means that we are fallen and in need of grace. Learn to explain who Christ is and why he came to die. Learn to explain that his resurrection secures the promise of our salvation. And learn to explain that the hope that you have in the return of Christ to make all things new. The hope that you have that Christ is returning to make all things new. These are the essentials of our message. Unbelievers should be able to see the hope that we have, and we should be able to explain it to them with Christ-like gentleness and respect. If we look through the New Testament, we just took time, combed through the entire New Testament for references to evangelism we will find that the old, there's only one time, one time where there's a mention of unbelievers coming to church to hear the gospel. One time is it mentioned that unbelievers come to church to hear the gospel. So yes, one time is more than enough for us to set a pattern that we need to follow. We should invite our friends to church, right? But... The focus of the New Testament is on Christians going out into the world around them to share the good news. And that can be scary. 
And I will admit that I need to grow here myself. But it is what we've been commanded by Christ to do. Christ himself has commanded us to do this. Will we obey it? Are we growing in our love of him enough that we can't help but talk about him? We are increasingly living in a culture that does not like the Christian faith. But we still have it so much better than Christians throughout history and around the world. Even better than the Christians that Peter was writing to. Christ should be so much the center of our life that worrying about their opposition, their hostility, shouldn't get in our way of sharing him. God sees the persecution of the righteous, just like our psalm at the beginning said. He sees their hostility. It is better to suffer at their hands for doing his will than to suffer for doing wrong. So what can you do as you fill your heart and your mind with Christ, as you set your mind more fully on him, making him the center of everything that you are, to make sure that you actually have these opportunities to share your hope. Be around unbelievers. Be around unbelievers. Go to them. This passage assumes that Christians will have interactions with unbelievers in their lives. For many of you, this will happen at the workplace as your co-workers begin to see that hope shining through in your life and they start to want to ask you questions. For others, this might come from your friends that when you spend time with them or maybe even your family members. Now, if there are still people who do not have unbelievers in their lives in those areas, I would encourage you, find a local hangout spot and adopt it as your own. Adopt it as your own. Find a way to be around unbelievers and get to know them. We all need to make Christ so much the center of our lives that hope is obvious to others, that sharing our faith and our hope comes without hesitation. We all need to make Christ so much the center of our lives that that comes easily. Now today we've looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 and we discussed the challenge of living and proclaiming our faith in the midst of a culture that opposes us, people that are hostile to us. And we've seen that our concern should be with Christ in doing God's will as we share our hope with those around us. And we've seen that we should respond to opposition, to hostility with a message of hope and an attitude that reflects gentleness and the respect that we see of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His humility. So as you go out today, I would challenge you, may Christ so much the center of your life that your hope overflows both in word and deed to unbelievers. Let's pray. Father, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Reminder that when it's easy to hide my faith, I am not setting my mind enough on Jesus Christ. Lord, we all struggle with this from time to time because we let the world and what they think get in the way of loving you more. 
So, Lord, I pray that Christ would saturate our minds and our hearts, that we would find ways to bring him to the center, to make him the most important thing, Lord, so that we can easily, Lord, that our our hope would be easily evident to the people that we come into contact with and that we would be ready without hesitation at the drop of a hat to share the hope of the gospel, to share the hope that Jesus is returning to this world to make all things right again. Lord, prepare our minds and our hearts this week so that we could go out into this community, into this world, to come into contact with a lost and perishing world who does not know you, Lord, who faces the possibility of being eternally separated from you. Lord, please help us to be ready to share our hope with them. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.